Good morning, church. It's so good to see your faces. Welcome. Glad you're here today and joining us online. Welcome to Union Chapel today. We are launching 2021 with a, an emphasis on faith. I want to encourage your faith. I want to inspire your faith. The just shall live by faith. And so today I've chosen as our, our reference from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is a classic chapter in the Bible with regard to faith. Faith is defined there, and it's also illustrated there by the number of lives that are mentioned who were commended, celebrated, uh, admired, respected for their faith. And so I want to encourage your faith today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 11, and I'm going to read the first six verses for us. Our custom is to stand, so as you're able, would you do that? Thank you so much. Verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought God a, brought God a better offering than Cain did, and by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, we God enliven our faith, encourage our faith, grow our faith today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, 2021 is going to be a time of turning. Uh, some are describing it as a reset. And we've been through a lot, haven't we? We've been through a lot. And let me just, let me just say about COVID. COVID in 2021 is going to recede slowly but surely. We know this uh, because herd immunity is going to be achieved at some point. If you have a, an immune system that has the right kind of T cells and the right number, you have actually not been susceptible to COVID. The second group of people are those who have had COVID and developed antibodies. And a third group, of course, are those who are going to be vaccinated and immunized that way. And so the best science that we can imagine right now is that sometime in July, probably late July, 80% of the population in the United States at least is going to be immune to the COVID virus and you'll see it recede and become less of a threat. So we've been on this path. Yeah, that's, so that, that's something to look forward to. There's light there. That's encouraging. We're also going to see a reset, a turning in the political world in the United States, and perhaps this might affect others. The older you are in age the more fussy you find yourself about political things. I'm not sure what the science is or the, the, the psychology is around that, but that's just generally true. That's always been true, and especially when, when th there's such upheaval and division, disagreement with political philosophy in the country, old people tend to get worked up. The, the joke is at a certain age you retire, move to Florida, and complain about the government full time. That's, what you, that's all you do. The younger you are, the less fussy you are about this. Let me just give you a, a pastoral perspective 
on, on the subject of politics right now. Christian identity, identifying yourself as a Christian, and God only knows who the Christians are. But identifying yourself as a Christian does not necessarily track closely with any particular political philosophy or party. Being Christian doesn't mean you're Republican. Being Christian doesn't mean it's Democrat. Being Christian doesn't mean it's, you're an independent. It just doesn't fit nicely. Christianity and the Christian philosophy and Christian lifestyle and Christian worldview does not fit easily, nicely into any political party. It just doesn't. And so those of us who are Christians and find ourselves in, in some, some point of reference politically have to live in the tension of that. You know, folks I disagree with politically are also Christians. And so we have to, have to let our minds deal with that tension that exists, this conflict. And so we do the best we can. And when it's especially contentious like it has been, it tends to get us worked up even more. And, and, and so let me, just, uh, let me just remind you that the, the biggest turning point, the biggest reset that can happen this year is if you reset your faith or if you turn your life over to Jesus. Because the biggest transformation that any person can experience in life is when they say yes to the loving grace and offer eternal life that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so here we, here we are with an opportunity. The greatest transformation available, the biggest turning point can be when you give your life more fully and completely to Jesus. Amen. It's good preaching right there. So, so I encourage you, I encourage you to do that and, and to find a way to do that. Now there's opportunity given to the church because we're not even close to even beginning to consider all the fallout or the consequences of this pandemic. We all have pandemic fatigue but when you think about the psychological effects and the and the financial economic effects and the and 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 the and the social effects and emotional effects the mental illness the mental challenges that this pandemic has has foisted on us it's a great opportunity for the church to extend care and to extend hope and to extend the peace of god through a relationship with jesus so Jesus said it this way. He said, there is a night coming when no one can work. There, there, there's going to be darkness that finds its way onto the earth in the last days. And when it's dark in those days, it'll just be try to stay alive the best you can. There won't be time for work. But he said, it's still daytime. And as long as it's still today, we should find ourselves engaged and invested in the, in the work of the kingdom of God, to lift up the name of Jesus and expand the borders of his influence in the world. Yes? And so it's still daytime. We can look at all the circumstances and negative consequences of the world in which we live today, but it's still day after all. And we're still here. And we still have a voice. And we still have capacity. And God still has called us with a holy purpose to say yes to his call and to make Jesus known in the world. Amen? So that's what we should be about. So today I want to encourage your faith. As we move into 2021, last week I laid some foundation for this series. If you haven't listened to that message, I hope you'll go back and check it out. And today from Hebrews 11, this classic text on the subject of faith. And I want to start with this statement. I'll put it on the screen for you. In order for faith to work, 
It has to be practiced. Because faith without works, James reports, is useless. Faith without the work, without the practice, without the application, is useless. Hebrews 11 defines faith and then gives us examples of those who practice faith. For example, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Enoch was taken from this life. Noah, in holy fear, built an ark. Abraham and Sarah conceived and bore a son in their old age. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau for their future. Jacob, near death, blessed Joseph's sons. All of this is in Hebrews 11. Joseph, at the end of his days, made provision for his bones to be returned to Canaan. That's by faith. Moses left Egypt and followed God. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the 12 spies out of the camp of Moses. Then down in verses 32 through 39 of Hebrews 11, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And through faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. This is all in the text. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Talking about the martyrs now. So that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And then a phrase in the scripture that I really like, I admire this phrase. After talking about the martyrs and how they suffered and how they submitted their lives to persecution without denying the faith, it says about them, the world was not worthy of them. Isn't that strong? Isn't that encouraging, inspiring? They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended. Are you ready? They were all commended, all these men and women, they were all commended for their faith, for their faith. Remember the paralyzed man? They had these four, he had these four friends. You remember, the, remember this occasion? The house is full where Jesus is teaching, people hanging out the windows, no way to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. They reasoned, if we can just get our paralyzed friend close to Jesus, maybe Jesus will help him. And so they climb up on the roof and tear, the, tear a hole in the roof. Remember this? They lower their friend down on a rope on his bed, paralyzed before Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And the scripture says there, and Jesus, seeing their faith, was moved. He saw their faith, and he was moved. Now, here's my question to you. What part of your faith does God get to see? What part of your faith do you put on display? What part of your faith is practiced so it's visible, so that Jesus can notice it as you practice it? Moved by their faith. And so, and so we ask the question today, of my time, of my talents, my natural abilities, the giftedness that God has given me, of the resources, the assets he puts at my disposal, of those things that are practical, that are useful in the world, how am I using those things 
in the exercise of my faith. A man stretched a line across Niagara Falls and he was going to tightrope across. Huge crowds on either side. He says to the crowd, you think I can do it? They all said, yes, you can do it. And so he climbs up on the, on the rope and he walks across over Niagara Falls and the crowd's going crazy. Then he has a wheelbarrow, it's specially designed so the wheel fits right on the, on the wire. And he, and he asks the crowd, do you think I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? Yes, you can do it. He said, you think I can? He said, yes, we believe. And he did, pushed it all the way across. He got to the other side and he said to the crowd, how many of you believe that I could push this wheelbarrow back across Niagara Falls? They said, we believe you can do it. He said, how many of you believe I could push a person in the wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? They said, we think you can. And he said, as he looked out in the crowd, how about you, sir? Man said, not me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not riding the wheelbarrow. <laughs> but here's the problem. The whole world of faith, see, that's not a spectator sport. It looks easy when you're watching somebody else do it. It looks, it looks easy and it's actually encouraging for you and you feel good about it when you notice someone else practicing it. When you see someone else bold in their faith, when you see someone else generous in their faith, generous with their time, generous with their talents, generous with their treasure, when you step back and look at that, you say, well, that's great. And I admire that person. And I, you know, and I aspire to be more like that. But the problem with that is that unless you're practicing your faith, it's useless. We've already covered that. And in verse six of our text today, it says it is impossible to please God without it. So faith is not for spectators. Faith is for participants. You gotta get in the game. You gotta actually use your faith and practice your faith. So let me put this statement on the screen for you. Faith is entrusting your life to God. Not that he can do it, but entrusting him to do it, to do it. So you get in the game. I love Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It very simply says, the soul, listen to it now, the soul that scatters will be blessed. Isn't that encouraging? The soul that scatters will be blessed. And the soul that withholds will come to poverty. It's this very simple statement, isn't it? The soul that opens their hands, opens their heart, and scatters will be blessed. But the soul with, that withholds will come to poverty. Let me give you four points of encouragement today. Four points of encouragement for your faith. Just very quickly, here's number one. Don't let circumstances deter you from practicing your faith. Don't let circumstances deter you. A verse from our passage from last week's message, Ecclesiastes 11.4, it says, whoever watches the wind will not sow. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, well, the weather's not perfect, so I better not risk farming this year. And so I'm not, you know, I, it's, the weather looks bad, so I'm just not going to risk it. And I want to take a chance on it this year, so I'm just going to withhold my seed. I'm not going to put it in the ground. That's what circumstances can keep you from practicing your faith. Well, things don't look like they're going to work out. So I did nothing. 
is my reaction to the circumstances. Now, do we have any circumstances in our culture right now that would suggest things are uncertain, things are unstable, things are unpredictable? All kinds of circumstances, just a, a pile of circumstances that could dissuade and discourage the people of faith from practicing, practicing their scattering. And I want to encourage you to do that. Don't let circumstances deter you. We got pushed back. We got pushed back on this whole idea of, of partnering with Urban Light Community Church here in, in town to purchase a home, renovate the house, and provide a residential center for men in recovery. And people said, you know, there's there's all kinds of all kinds of uncertainty. You know, people are withholding. It's not gonna not gonna be able to do that this year. Let's just postpone that. Maybe we can do it some other time. But let me ask you something. Do you suppose the need for, for addiction recovery is greater now or lesser now? It's greater now. The need is huge. It's all kinds of pressure, pressure point on people, on families and children and, and the consequences of addictive patterns. And there's never been a greater need than there is right now. I mean, if you were God in heaven and, and you wanted to help people in this way, would you postpone this or would you do something about it? And so we said, look, we know the circumstances aren't perfect, but we've got to go. We've got to do this. God, God's laid this on our heart. He's given us a sense of call to do this. And so we're going to push ahead. And so all through the Christmas season, if you'll remember, we just, we just said bold-faced, right out loud. We, we, need, we need people to be generous in the Christmas offering this year or, or this is going to be postponed. Now, we, I never said those words, but they were implied, I hope. But it didn't matter because you were so generous and have been so generous. I don't even know what the total is right now. I, it was at, just after Christmas, we had just over $50,000. I thought, well, you know, that's like halfway to where we really need to go. And so, God, I'm just trusting you for the... And then, and then the week between Christmas and, and New Year's, money started coming in. It was just amazing, such a... Great blessing, so encouraging. And another $60,000 came in. And so the last report I got was the Christmas offering was $108,000 and growing. So I don't even know where it is right now. And if you haven't contributed to the Christmas offering, he that scatters will be blessed. He who withholds. So I don't, I, listen, I don't have any. Yes, you do. Put, put something in it. Put 50 cents in the Christmas offering. Well, that's, that's frivolous. That's ridiculous. No. Practice. Practice your faith. Don't let the circumstances keep you from following God and doing the right thing. So we're on our way. Uh, we're, we're speculating in a couple of houses right now. We're going to have one purchased in the next, probably the next month or so. And then we'll start renovating that thing. And by God's grace, with God's help, by the end of the year, that thing's going to be up and running and lives are going to be changed. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. Well done. Don't let circumstances deter you. Number two, don't let doubt. Don't let doubt deter you. There's a marvelous story in Mark's gospel, chapter nine. There's a young boy who's demonized. He's described as demonized. He's deaf. He's mute. He convulses. This boy is uncontrollable. He foams at the mouth. It's horrible. Can, he throws himself in the fire. He throws himself in the water. Can you imagine 
being the parent of this boy. Maybe he's six or seven or eight years old, just a little guy, and he suffers. He suffers. He's demonized. It's horrible. And Jesus comes along one day, and the father of this boy, yeah, I try to imagine being the father of this boy and just how painful, how much suffering you would do, how, how broken you would feel having a child like that and feeling powerless to do anything about it. And so this man comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'm glad you're here. He said, I got this boy, you know, he just, and shares the symptoms with him. And he says, so if you, can, if you could do anything to help, we sure would appreciate it. I mean, you can feel sincerity in that. And you would think that Jesus would hear the story and have some empathy for it. You'd think Jesus would go, yeah, boy, that's, I feel bad that your boy suffers like that too. It's so sad. But that's not what Jesus said to this guy. It's really interesting. The man says to, to him, Lord, if you could do anything to help, we'd sure be thankful. And Jesus immediately, he snaps back right now. I mean, there's not a half a second that passes. And Jesus said, if I can, if I can do anything, he said, all things are possible to them that believe. Well, man, that's, that's pretty jolting, isn't it? That's pretty strong. And then the, the father has a perfect comeback. He said the perfect thing. And the man says, he said, I'm sorry, Lord. I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. I mean, you know, that's a good prayer. That is a great prayer. You can use that one these days. Use that prayer. Lord, I do believe in you, but help me in my unbelief. Because we've been wobbled, haven't we? We've been wobbled. I confess last week that my faith has been has been challenged. I, yeah, I'm just like you. I, I, feel, I feel confused. I feel frustrated. I'm disappointed. Uh, you know, I just all those emotions that make me wonder, hey, God, you know, you still paying attention? <laughs> What's going on? Why is this happening? When will this be over? And all those questions. And why is this happening? You know, I, if, you're, if you're raising small children right now, you, I mean, you've got to be wondering, all this online education, you know, we have no idea just how, how, how much of a setback it's going to be for, ch for children and their learning. Uh, so, some of our kids, grandkids have done okay with online learning, but you know as well as I do, lots and lots of children don't have the kind of ac access or the, the, the family support to do that well. There are consequences to that. If you, if you have a parent or a grandparent who's in a nursing home or in assisted living, you've had to manage that. I know I have and my family has, and we have no idea the consequences as a result of, of, of that sort of thing. And not to mention the economy. You have certain sectors of our economy who people have lost their job and lost their businesses, and especially in, in the service industries and restaurant business. It's been a horrible toll, and the, and the emotional and physical drainage on the medical system, the consequences of COVID. We have COVID fatigue. All of us do, and it's, and it's shaken all of us. And, and, and so here's my challenge to you. Don't let, don't, don't let this doubt deter you from practicing your faith. This is a perfect prayer. I do believe, God, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. That's a fair, 
Some of you right now, you see, you're not practicing your faith. You say, look, I don't even know if I have any faith left. I'm not, I'm not even sure God is, is real because this is just too much. And I'm just not sure about this whole faith thing. And so I'm not, no, I'm not practicing my faith. Well, listen, you can't please God without it. You know, God, God's there and he's real and he's active and he's involved. How many of you know Jesus is not wearing a mask? I mean, if Jesus came in today, we'd say, hey, why aren't you wearing your mask? And he'd just go, what's the matter with you? <laughs> now, that doesn't, matter. that doesn't mean we shouldn't because we're not Jesus. <laughs> we're more vulnerable than he is. You know, we're all supposed to follow Jesus, but let's just, let's just say it out loud. Uh, he had an unfair advantage and still does. He's God. So we'll do the best we can to be like Jesus, <laughs> but we're not going to quite make it. So, so he, there's no fear, there's no panic, there's no worry, there's no wringing of the hands. God says, I've got you, I've got this, and, and you can trust me, you can rely on me, you can count on me. I know, I know your, doubt, your doubts are real, and I know your faith has wobbled a bit, but just pray, help me in my unbelief, and I'll help you in your unbelief. So don't use that as an excuse. Don't let fear be an excuse for you not to practice your faith. You keep practicing your faith, and God will honor your faith. Amen? So, so if you're saying, look, Pastor, it's too much for me. I just I can't do it. I can't practice my faith. I just have too much doubt. Listen, dude, I'm not impressed with your doubt because everybody's got doubt. In fact, people with doubt, the line starts right here. Just come stand right here. The line starts right here. Don't let doubt deter you. Keep trusting Jesus. It's good preaching right there. So, so Jesus says, bring your time, bring your talent, bring your treasure, practice. Trust me. Jesus goes over to this boy who is deaf and mute, virtually incoherent, in between convulsions. And Jesus says to, this, to the demons in this boy, he says, you deaf, this is a quote from, the, from Mark 9, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And the Bible says that the demons threw this boy on the ground and he convulsed one more time. And Jesus expelled those demons and the boy got up and he could hear and he could talk and he was normal and in his right mind and he delivered this boy to his father. How many of you know that's a good day for that family? So that's what happened for the guy who prayed I do believe God, but help me in my unbelief. Don't let, don't let doubt deter you from practicing your faith. Number three, don't let people deter you. Don't let people deter you. Another beautiful story, Luke 18, there's a blind man. Jesus is on the road to Jericho, and he comes upon a group of people, and in this group is a blind man, and he starts crying out. He starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And immediately, this blind man's friends try to dissuade him. Stop yelling. Stop acting like a fool. Stop annoying everybody with your yelling. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're embarrassing us. Jesus is an important person. He's, he's, he's not interested in you. Stop yelling. And this guy starts yelling all the more. He raises the volume. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. 
And Jesus hears this guy and he stops. People are going, oh man, now see what you've done. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it's just socially, socially insensitive. He's yelling at the wrong time. You know people like this. And so, <laughs> and so, and they're, they're constantly chirping, trying to dissuade you, trying to discourage you from trusting Jesus in your life. Some of you live with friends like this. You're like the one in your group, your circle, and you stay faithful. You've, you hold on to your faith. You practice your faith, and it astonishes the people around you. And they constantly pressurize you to conform and to compromise and to give in and to act like everybody else. And you say, no, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. I want to live my life by faith. I want to please God with my life. I don't live, I don't live to please you. I live to please God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, of you, some of you have family members like this. I do. Who think I'm just a little odd because of my faith, because of what I do. Some of you are married to people like this. And there's constant pressure for you to be someone else, to behave and practice a lifestyle different than the one you know God's called you to. And so you just don't let people, any people, deter you from practicing your faith. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose there have been very many people in my life over the last 40 years of leading this church who have tried to dissuade me from practicing my faith? Are you kidding? Are you serious? Really? I'll just say there's a long line of people like that who say, Pastor, let's not do that. Why, why are you making this change? Why are we doing, doing that ministry? Why are we going to that location? Why are we stretching to reach that sort of thing? And on and on, people will try to dissuade you. Listen, when you know the will of God and you are determined to live in the midst of God's purpose and plan and destiny for your life and you understand the next step as God has given it to you, don't let anybody dissuade you from walking by faith. Don't let them do it. You live to serve an audience of one. So don't let people deter you. Don't let circumstances deter you. Don't let doubt deter you. Don't let people deter you. And number four, lastly, don't let fear deter you. Don't let fear deter you. Another beautiful story, 1 Kings 17. This is the widow of Zarephath. There's a great famine in the land. There's a drought. People are starving to death. This woman and her son, and they are all alone in the world, and they have nothing. They have enough oil in the bottom of the container and enough meal in the basket for one more meal. This single mom and her son, because each other is all they have, they've already made plans. They're going to take the little bit of oil they have and the meal, they're going to mix it up and they're going to make a cake. And they're going to have one last meal together. And then they're going to die. One more meal and then we're going to starve. 
And that's the way it's going to go. And in steps one of the prophets of God. His name was Elijah. And Elijah is alive and well at this point in time. And God uses this man powerfully as a prophet. And he finds this woman. And under the inspiration of God's voice, through him, he says to this woman, here's what I want you to do, ma'am. I want you to go home and make me a dinner. I want you to make me a meal. And the woman says, I only have enough for one more meal, and my son and I were going to eat it, and then we're going to die. So I'm, I'm really sorry, but we only have enough for one more meal. And this is what the man of God says to her. Verses 13 and 14 of 1 Kings 17. This is the first thing Elijah said to that. He said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you know how many times that phrase appears in the scripture? Do not be afraid. It appears exactly 365 times. Now you may find that a coincidence. Obviously, it's not a coincidence. Obviously, this is God's message for every one of us every single day. Do not be afraid today. Do not be afraid tomorrow. Do not be afraid the day after that. Do not be afraid the day after that. Do not be afraid. 365 days a year, the message from God is the same. Do not be afraid. Don't let fear deter you from practicing your faith. Now, are there reasons to be afraid? Well, yeah. There's reason to be concerned every time you turn around. Welcome to the world. Welcome to life. You know, you understand the world is inherently unsafe. In fact, it's so unsafe, we're all going to (laughs) die. You're not going to make it. And neither am I. Something's going to get us, every last one of us. So you can live your life like this. Or you can live your life in confident trust that God is is powerful, that God is gracious, that God is merciful, that God is resourceful, that God can take care of you. Do not be afraid. And then he says to the woman, now you go home and make me that meal, and here's what the Lord says. You'll never run out. You think, you think you're going to serve me the last of your food, but he said, if you serve me and trust God, you'll never run out. And she went home, and she obeyed, and she overcame her, her fears, and she made that last meal for the prophet. And the next day she got up, and she checked that little vial of oil that was empty, and she looked in, and there was oil in the bottom of it. She got her little basket out, took the lid off, where all the meal had been used all altogether gone the, the day before. And the next morning, the bottom was covered in meal. And she mixed them together, and she fed herself and her son. And the next morning, she got up, and there was oil, and there was meal. And the next day, there was oil, and the next day, there was meal. The prophet said, until it rains again, until this drought is broken, God will miraculously supply everything you need to stay alive, to, to, to provide your sustenance if you'll obey him and walk by faith. It's a powerful miracle. And so God says to all of us, I got you. You say, well, that, you know, she got special treatment. Listen, God knows you. 
God knows your name. God knows your username. God knows your password. God knows everything about you. He's got you. You can trust him. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I promise you, every single one of you, a hundred years from now, when you're in heaven, you'll go, what was I so afraid of? How irrational was that? Man. Serve a big God, ladies and gentlemen, who will take care of us. Listen, when our, uh, when, uh, when our boys were young and just little, you know, 25 pounders, something like that, something I did with them, and Beth did not approve of this, so please don't look upon her negatively, just me. This was my idea. I would take the boys, and I don't know if you can do this with girls. I don't know. I haven't, I've not raised a girl. But I took, took both the boys out when they were about that size, 25 pounds or so, and I took them out in the front yard. And the reason I took them out in the front yard is because I couldn't do what I had in my mind to do in the house because the ceiling wasn't high enough. And so I took, now, now listen, you can call the authorities on me, but our boys are full grown now, and if someone comes to question me about this and they ask my boys, my boys will lie for me. And so you're not going to get me. This is the law of limitations anyway, statute of limitations. And I took them outside in the front yard. And you know how you take a baby and you just kind of toss them a little bit, get their stomach, you know, to turn a little, make them giggle. And you toss them a little bit. And most people, rational people, just take your baby and toss them about six inches, you know, and then you, they, they land back in your hands. You never really lose contact with them. So they're very secure that way. Uh, mothers, are, mothers, insist on this kind of safety. Fathers aren't as smart. So <laughs> I t- took the boys out in the front yard and I, t- and I didn't tell Beth what I was doing so she wouldn't <laughs> try to stop me. And I just toss them, just toss them up a little bit like this and then a couple of feet. And you know, they were trying to adjust to that. And then I looked at them and said, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss you really high. And they both would look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then I would, I would throw, I would toss uh, our 25-pounders as high as I could throw them. Yeah, I would launch them. Now, now picture me at, you know, 20, 25 years old, just finished playing Division I basketball and fit. You have to use your imagination you know, full knee bend, squat, and then just pop and just throw them as high as I could. I mean, it was, it was I'm, we're, you know, 10, 12, 14 feet. I don't know how high they would go. As high as I could throw them. I wish I could throw them higher, but that's as high as I could throw them. I just launch them and they'd get up to, at the top of this, you know, like a cat jumping off the roof. You know, they would assume that position. Because it freaked them out, wouldn't it? Freak out. And then they'd come back down and I'd catch them. That's the key. <laughs> Important point. If you drop them, the whole, the whole idea is ruined. <laughs> this, this concept doesn't work if you, if you fumble one. So you can't, you got, you got to catch them. So, so if you don't have the confidence to catch them, don't throw them. 
And I would just launch them. And I would do that two or three times and they weren't sure they liked it. But after three or four times, then they would look at me and go, I like this. Throw me higher. Throw me higher. And I would launch them as high as I could. And we'd just stand out in the front yard until their mother would come out and catch us. <laughs> we'd have to stop. And then, and then after, after that, the boys, you know, as they got, even got bigger, they'd come up to me and say, Dad, can, would you throw me, you know, let's go out in the front yard so you can toss me. When they got, to, when they got too big for me to toss because they're too heavy, I would take them into the kitchen and set them on the counter and I'd, I'd tell them to put their toes over the edge of the counter like this for leverage and then I would take a step back and I said, now jump. And I'd make them jump for me and then I'd set them on the counter and then I'd step back until I was all the way across the room. And so they, they would literally, they knew they would never get to me if they didn't explode with all of their might. They'd, they'd curl their toes over the edge and squat all the way down and just launch themselves. I mean, horizontally across the room. They had no hope of survival <laughs> unless I caught them. And I always did. If you aspire to be in any kind of Christian influence or leadership, let me tell you one of your key responsibilities. One of your primary roles is to stand between people and the things they fear. Stand between people and the things people fear. And today what I want you to know is that our God is an awesome God. He is. And that nothing's too difficult for him. And his love never runs out. And neither, neither does any of his measures of grace. He has enough and more than enough. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will catch you every time. He will support you every time. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has begun a work in you and he will be faithful to complete it. Don't let fear deter you from the practice of your faith. Amen? Amen? So I want to encourage you today, and I trust that this is encouraging to you. Don't let circumstances keep you back. Don't let doubt deter you from practice. Don't let people around you, as wobbly as they might be, don't let them, don't let them dissuade you, and don't let fear keep you from very, the very best God has for you. He who scatters will be blessed. He who withholds will come to poverty. So be encouraged today in your faith. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your word. Once again, uh, it is so encouraging to find these stories of faithful men and women. And indeed, from our text today in Hebrews 11, this list of men and women who risked everything by faith. And now here we are 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, 4,000 years later, 5,000 years later. We have named in this meeting today, in the year 2021, the year of our Lord, we have named the names of men and women who were commended throughout history for their faith. God, I simply pray that you would fill us with the kind of encouragement and boldness and hope and faith that years from now, 
we too might be commended for our faith. God causes us to be more and more faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. The people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?